This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. For years and years and years, he was the host at this uh, this time slot. I think it was a thirty-five years you were here, oh, something yeah, like that. Something like that. Matt Holmes back in the studio, <laughs> joining the brightest panel back on the well on the Scott Radley Show in his old time slot. Welcome Mr. back, Mr. Radley. Welcome back. Glad yeah. to have you back. It's a very painted building now. It is very painted. The uh, the studio is even a different color from when you were here. I think it's I it's think much so. It's much more aquatic in here. Now. It's a, it, every, the whole building is a little bit more tame because they had all these nice bright colors before, and now there's a lot of gray and black, which I'm not too sure of. <laughs> I think it's that just a seems um, drab. Yeah, they didn't ask. They didn't consult you with the night no? crew. No, they didn't. Um, they uh, and probably safest. They didn't consult me on any kind of design or fashion consulting, as you know, as you can clearly see. Oh, I thought uh, you were important. You got twenty five percent discount at Fox Forty World. So that's true. That's true. That's pretty good. It is very good. It is very good. I have a large collection of whistles now because good. of the discount. <laughs> uh, next to Matt, uh, Sue Prestige, who is the head of broadcast journalism or journalism at uh, Mohawk College. She is a longtime broadcaster. Has been with I can't even name all the places that you've worked for but it sounds like i can't hold a job n- not true at all <laughs> what it really is is that all of them kept coming to get you and offering more and more money because oh, you were that, that good was it <laughs> so super <laughs> glad to have you back and we're th- always thrilled to have you along we're uh, this is this is this is the a team today i don't i'm not even gonna have to work i'm just gonna throw a question out and then go have a coffee and let you two guys hash it out that's, that's uh, fine we could do I that suppose, we, i guess or we could leave him hanging yeah <laughs> we'll see where that works yeah that could happen it depends too. if we like the cut of your jib here or not <laughs> Uh, what are you? But before we get into it, though, because people are probably wondering, you oh, were uh, you did this, and then you uh, were the play-by-play guy for the Hamilton Bulldogs for a couple of years, and you did a fantastic job at that. What are you doing these days? Uh, I'm a pretty good dad. Good. Yeah, having a lot of fun with that. To be Excellent. honest with you, <laughs> two young kids. Uh, yeah, two young kids. Having a lot, of, getting a lot of time with uh, both of them right now, and my daughter's not in school yet, so. I'm honestly taking advantage of the chance that I'm home for a little bit right now. Nice. Good Everybody tells me, take advantage of it. If you don't, then you'll regret it for quite a while. I agree. So I agree. I'm soaking it up. Yeah, soaking I agree. I had I was able to work my schedule when my daughter and son were both very young to work nights and be home during the day when they were home, and best thing I ever did. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Because the same thing happened with my husband and I. I did early morning radio, and I went in, I think, for 4 a.m., and then so I was home around 1, and then he would leave at 3 and work until midnight. And everybody said, that's why your marriage is so strong. You didn't see each that's other right. for you just 12 tagged years. <laughs> but the that's exactly what it. we did. The kids loved it. Yeah, they got both parents. And Matt, who, uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Matt in a while, he's got the uh, the Karl Marx, uh, the Joseph Stalin, I, I guess. I have no idea. Mustache and beard There's thing There's a lot going. of gray on the bottom I don't like. It's it's looking very Eastern block. I'm okay with that. There are statues with your beard See? on it in, in Moscow and around important. Russia. It is, yes. I was yes. going to say Lenin, actually. <laughs> Lenin? <laughs> Lenin, yeah, sure. And they're not fast. talking John here. So. <laughs> no, why do all the, the, the Russian leaders all have the same? It was like a standard issue mustache and beard mini goatee thing that all the uh, the scariest They, they bought it with had. the Radley discount. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of politicians, although those guys, I don't know if you call them politicians per se... You know, is a dictator really a politician? I'm not sure. I, I guess if you're Justin Trudeau, you can call Castro a politician. But anyway, yeah, who knows? But but let, let's get to politicians for a second oh. because I, I want to start with this. It's a little more of a serious topic, you know. So that'll that may be a challenge this evening. But in the last few days, the Auditor General's Auditors General, I guess the S goes with Auditors. The Auditors General have ripped the Wynn government for being wasteful and ripped the Trudeau government for a bunch of things. And this is not picking on liberals because this happens when the conservatives are in power. Regardless, it happens to every single government. You yeah. have a government that comes into place. Maybe they last a year before this happens, but within a year, maybe 18 months, 
you know the Auditor General is going to find massive waste all over the place. It's, it's as predictable as the sun coming up. Why? Because I've never heard an Auditor General say everything is great. <laughs> they are spending your money so wisely. It's astonishing. I have not found one thing out of place. When you have governments the size of either a provincial government or a federal government with all those, you know, the myriad of departments that are associated with governments, you're bound to find something that's off. There has to be something. Nobody I know, private or government, ever runs a business where at the end of the day they go, you know, we probably have to fix that. We lost money in this area. Why did we lose money in this area? The problem with the Auditor General's report is, the Auditor's General report, is that it's all the taxpayers' money. So it may not be as obvious as it would be when a private company does it, but when the government does it, everybody sits up and takes notice. I've just never, I expect to hear something has gone off the rails yeah, when I hear that report. Totally, and, and I think if you didn't, you'd be questioning the, the integrity of, of the auditors at that point in time because it, it's just, it's too big of a business to be running absolutely perfectly. I think some people like to play politics with it and think that you can, but you never can. You, you absolutely never can, and Quite frankly, if you're the auditors, if you come back with perfect every time, then you're going to be out of a job because they're doing a good job. So you're going to fight really hard to find the problem. But don't we generally, it seems to me anyway, don't we generally see vastly more problems the longer a government is in place? It seems as though, and you're right, that it's such a huge amount of people and, and, and stations and, and operations and departments that you're going to have stuff. But when a government first comes in, their first auditor general report always seems to be pretty good. And then you're in power for a year or two or three, and it seems that entropy kicks in. and Everything goes from a state of order to a state of chaos. Why can governments not, as they get more experience, actually get better? Why does it always have to be that they get worse? I don't know if that's always necessarily seems the that's case. The way. I, I just think it's the way that we look at it, right? It's it, it's it, it's the way that we sit there and put the magnifying glass over top of the governments and say, oh, well, you've been doing this. This this is this is the next piece to the puzzle. And oh, I remember two years ago when you did this. Here's another thing on that pile. When you're when you're fresh, you're you're getting off the hook because you don't have any history for them to remember you by and to say, well, you screwed that up before because you weren't there. But the expectations are so much lower yeah. in the first year that there's you know, lightness and hope, you know, when a new government is elected. So do you think the auditors general are kinder and gentler on a new government? I no. think the media might be in terms of who actually cares about the story. Because it's going to be. be in the, it, there's be. going to be problems there, but it's whether or not somebody makes a front headline page on it. You don't think, either of you, that part of this is that the longer, you know, there's the statement about absolute power corrupts absolutely. You don't think that the longer governments stay in power, the more favors they accrue, the more things they have to do, the more that it's just you build up a mess that you have to, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to happen because you have to pay people back, you have to do things, you have to help people out. Well, I think, you know, if you're talking about paying people back, that smells of fraud. And I don't think that's what the auditors say. When a government is in power for a longer period of time, they've brought in more legislation and put through perhaps new legislation, which hasn't been dealt with before by previous government. And that's when I think we start to see some of the mistakes, as the auditor would call it, mistakes. Maybe the money wasn't um, channeled to the right programs, et cetera. So as the number of new proposals and legislation is passed, you know, maybe after 
four years, then you're going to see an increase in the number of um, complaints by the uh, complaints to the government, but also the auditor saying, ah, you know, when you were doing this, maybe, you know, that money went to the wrong fund or the advertising firm you hired wasn't playing the right ball game. So I, it doesn't surprise me in no. any way. Yeah, it's not a sexy thing to say, but uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't surprise anybody. Well, it shouldn't. Do you think that in the mm-hmm. private sector, though, this would be different? Take the biggest company in the world. I don't know what that is today. Apple, maybe. I mean, a company that has you know tens and tens and tens of thousands of employees. Do you think that they have... Now, we don't hear the things. That's be, what it is. But do you think they have the same problems? Uh, Donald Trump, anybody? How 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 much how much was made out of how how problem how problem how many problems sorry that his businesses have had over the years yet he continues to make money and he continues to get power and he continues to make more money it's and that's a, that's one example <laughs> for sure but, but that's that's an obvious one right that's but you also have one. a private company and you have companies that have stockholders Stock, probably in the case of the stockholders you're going to find companies where um, more of that information is going to be not leaked to the public, but available to the public and the media because the stockholders have to know about it too. But with private companies, does anybody hear about it? They don't have to hear about it. Well, the shareholders might in a shareholders meeting. That's a shareholders. But if you have a private company, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Trump's companies are private, right? The reason I asked though about the private is because of this. Whether you're Donald Trump or whether you're someone else, if you have a private company, you have your own skin in the game. So if you're throwing money away, that's money that's going out of your pocket. That's money that's going out of your bank account. If you're just frittering away money, that's money that's costing you directly. Whereas if you're the government and you lose $100 million, well, there's not a penalty to the prime minister or to the premier or to the MP or MPP for losing that money. So I'm wondering if the the fact that that they don't really have any skin in the game, whether that affects what they do. But with with the auditor's report, you're hearing about all the negative things that have happened, correct? Usually, I mean, where yeah. the money, right? But what about all the programs that are working? Why you don't, don't hear why that don't in the auditor's report. Why don't we hear about those? It's not sexy. Because <laughs> the, the meeting would be seven hours long? Well, it's kind Maybe. of like, yeah. you know, come out here, we'll give you the media release, and this is what we're doing right. And I think probably in today's world, the media looks at it and goes, oh, that's nice. It's yeah. a media release. Who cares? You know, it's much sexier to report that, you know where your tax dollar was going? And it was going, you know, to a place that you don't like. But I, I don't know whether I'm feeling just magnanimous <laughs> tonight that I'm going, it's okay, spend the money any which way you want. I'm not sure why. What but. do you think the media would do, though, if they did have two days of auditor's general reporting? The first day was all the stuff that was re- going really well. You'd walk and, out. Well, you think they would walk out? Yeah. You don't think it would get coverage? No. Not as much. Would, would you sit down and read it? Uh, yeah, I would. I actually, uh, Well, it depends what it is. If it's 9,000 pages, <laughs> I, I probably would have my staff scan it, my staff of Luke. Luke, stay up all night and scan this for me. On, on a municipal level, if, if, the city, <laughs> if City Hall was to sit there and come up with everything that went right, and here's the road programs, this road was perfectly on budget. Well, this road was on budget. We put in these stop signs. They were on budget, on time and everything. Yeah. Really? Both you're go- of you you're are, going to sit through that? Both of you are journalists, so both of you know the old axiom that a, a dog bites a man isn't a story. A man bites a dog is a story. An airplane landing safely is not a story. So you're probably right that if everything, if they were saying all the things that are done right, it probably would be kind of boring. Yeah, you'd focus on the negative. Is that just because, is that because, as you say, Sue, it's sexier, or is it because we just are a people who like to be outraged? 
You know what? I'm, I'm going to herald back to my very first job in broadcasting, and I was a student at Mohawk College, and my field placement was at, at a ra- Toronto radio station, and I was a good news reporter. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven because, you know, they got us free passes for everything, and, you know, I had this great little uniform that I wore and everything else. It was an attempt, I'm sure, by the radio station to uh, at least have one story in the news that would be... You know, uplifting, oh, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Good that, news, good hyphen good, news, not yeah. good apostrophe oh, news. news. No, good news reporter. <laughs> good common news. So, because you were a good news reporter as well. You, I wasn't but, sure which way you were yeah, going. Yeah, no, that was the actual title. <laughs> and uh, sorry, I've said it so often, I didn't even think about it that way. Um, but people have tried that, right? I think mm. there was actually a media outlet that tried to oh, do Oh, Connie Smith stories. did her own stuff yeah, on, right. uh, yeah, and did very well at it, but. There's a difference between reporting what the government has done right or doing a heartfelt story about somebody in the community that's doing something for someone else. Mm -hmm. That's different. The media will cover that kind of thing. But if it's just numbers and, you know, we built this many houses, et cetera, or the government is spending this amount of money and it's really doing a good job doing that. I'm just not sure that the media would cover it. I agree with you. I, I think there's an underlying thing to this too, is, is the people's perception of the media is that you're kind of, you're biased anyway. So if you're sitting there and telling good stories and saying the government has been doing this, all they're going to do is be labeled as supporters of whatever political party they're saying did a good job. You beat me to the punch right there because yeah. it's not just the media too. I think that a lot of people are very cynical if a government if a government says that we have created 50,000 jobs. How in the world can I ever believe or prove that that actually is the case? How, how am I supposed to know? You could make up a number that is anything, and I'm going to go, either if, if I believe in that government, I'm going to say, great, 50,000 jobs. If I hate that government, I'm going to say, no, you didn't. And it's also the media, because even today when the jobs numbers came out, it's, I heard one report that said, oh, the number of jobs in Canada went up unexpectedly, but then also sort of broke it down to say the largest number of those jobs were part-time. Mm-hmm. Then I heard another report somewhere else at another media outlet that said the jobs numbers are up. And I'm going, no, not really. <laughs> you know, because, so no wonder that, yeah. as you pointed out, Matt, sometimes they don't trust the media when it comes to that kind of thing. We aren't even giving them the right story because, you know, you have to dig a bit to find out the true story. Yeah, that's, yeah. We are in the post-truth era, which is weird to say, but it, truth is seemingly whatever truth you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the numbers, you come up with a different number. Um, you know, it's uh, we had radio ratings come out yesterday. Guarantee you that every single radio station across Canada will trump or tout something from those ratings that they can find a number that will say that their station was the best station and did the best and blah, blah. It happens. They they can't all be doing the best in the country. That's right. You cherry pick among those numbers to see which, what you can promote about your own media outlet. It happens in radio, it happens in television, and it happens in newspapers. So That said, just as we go to break here, (laughs) take the overall numbers, go and look them up yourself. CHML did go up. So, you know, in the overall, I'm just putting that out there. Well, so what, that, what demographic? In, no, in, in all demographics. Down, males all and females. The, yeah, I know. But that's the point. Where's your cue? Come on. CHML's up. That's all I'm saying. Jeff Story's listening. CHML's <laughs> up. That's the boss. CHML's up. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.
In studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. This evening, that is Matt Holmes, formerly the host of this time slot. Happy to have him back for a uh, for a return visit. And Sue Prestige of Mohawk's journalism program and endless broadcast and other uh, journalism things in the past. This is why I feel so good. When I walk out of this studio, this is why you should have, this is why you should have taught Scott in school because he forgot (laughs) to turn your microphone on. Yes. Well, see, Matt, I I mentioned this last time Sue was here. I got to say, uh, the first ever journalism award I won was judged by Sue Prestige. You wonder why she's here? Uh, It's payback. payback. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there is one of the, I think one of the oddest stories that I've read recently, although you know, the second time I read over it, I went, well, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the, the two experts here and see if maybe they're onto something or if this is complete lunacy. The Ottawa School Board has told their teachers, female teachers specifically, that what they post on Facebook cannot be photos of them enjoying a summer vacation at the beach in bathing suits or other scantily clad costumes, wardrobes, appearances. Basically... You can't put stuff on Facebook that any of your students are going to look at and go, oh, look at Mrs. Jones. What do you think about that? First of all, Matt, do school boards even have a right to tell teachers? I mean, we we say, yeah, you represent your school, your employer when you're even out of the office. Do they? Okay. I get do you have it. the right to do it? No. Should the teacher be smart enough not to do it themselves? Yes. Short and sweet. Should a teacher not ever post a picture if they're on a vacation when they're standing on a beach, or or is it just keep it tasteful, man? You you run into a very tough position, especially when you're teaching about a Facebook situation, any social media, any social media, because you're encouraged on one hand by the institution that you work for to use social media to communicate with your students in large part. There has to be a cutoff for a lot of people when it comes to what what are you using your Facebook page for? You know, who are you allowing on your Facebook page? Who are you allowing to see your Facebook page? So I think any professional, I don't care whether it be a teacher or anybody else, should, as you say, Matt, be very choosy about what you put on your your Facebook page. Yeah, just be smart you know? about it. Yeah. It's... See, I think I think you're right about any professional, but I think teachers, it's a more interesting one because you're sure dealing with younger, mm-hmm. testosterone... Hormones. Hormone-filled young boys who might go on and, and see the picture and go, oh, again, like... But at the same time, where I found it kind of odd is that I, I, it just seems like such a... Almost an invasion of your privacy to say you can't put that on. You, this Facebook page is for your friends or for your other people to see it. You can't put. You go on a nice vacation. You don't post a photo. Was it directed only at female teachers? I don't think they said so specifically, but that certainly was the implication. That certainly was the implication that you know. Let me let me pull up the story here and uh, and see if they say. Um, yeah, it it doesn't say specifically, but you know what? I've never heard of a man being referred to as scantily clad. So just by the the wording, have you ever heard of a man being referred to as scantily clad? I haven't. I know. I that, have. That's a, have you? That <laughs> yeah. to me seems like a female phrase. Well, depending on the size of the bathing suit, scantily <laughs> clad could take on new meaning. Apparently it's now a, uh, in New Brunswick, a teacher was fired for comments. Now for anti-Semitic comments that you post online on Facebook or wherever. That to me is a different situation. Yeah. Or if you were a teacher who was intentionally over the top posting 
incredibly intentionally sexy pictures of yourself posing in ways that, you know, if you're doing lingerie shots or something, again, I would say, okay, that's, you know, but just to be on the beach or to be at the cottage or whatever, and you're water skiing and you have a picture of you water skiing in a bikini, is that inappropriate? If you're a third grade teacher and you're putting it up there and you're friends with your kid, your, your students and their students' parents, I don't know. I just use your common sense and don't put those up there. Why? Because you don't want them seeing you that way. I don't. I just yeah, think that just there is a very, very, very um, strong line about what you, as an educator, can put out there because you never know how it's going to be interpreted. You're not just dealing with adults, your friends, your family, etc. You're dealing with young kids, young minds, and as you said, Scott, hormones. Um, I just think you're setting yourself up for the possibility of something untoward being um, that you'd be challenged in some form or fashion. And you know what? They're going to come back and say, yeah, but you put the pictures up there. I strongly disagree that the board can order them not to do this. However, I agree with Matt when he says, come on, common sense would tell you this is not a good thing to do. Yeah. The, Scott, the teacher you most remember having a crush on in school. Come on, you had one. You had one. There were teachers. Whatever. School. Okay, you don't I, have I, to I, give I, the name. Sorry, I'm, I'm, rake, I'm racing through my brain, you my brain Rolodex, and our high school teachers, I, you, I, I don't want to insult them. but Okay, this middle was, school <laughs> teachers. I you went, had, you had went, one along the way where you said, right, that's think, a cute teacher. I can think of if one. If you were yeah. on Facebook at that point in time, and you, you would you have printed that picture and brought it to school sometime? Do you think the kids would do that? See, I never thought of that. I was just thinking of looking at it at home when you go on your, or showing but, someone around on your on your phone, I suppose. But but you would do that. Yeah. You, okay, so you'd bring it up on your phone and show everybody in the classroom. If you're a teacher, why would you put yourself in that place? That I, that I See, that part I understand. It's the it's the board yes, the, o- uh, making this a statement. And so my next question would be, if the board is saying, okay, as a teacher, you can't dress in a certain way and put it on social media. What if you show up at school and the principal determines that your outfit is a little too... Racy? Racy. But but again, who's determining racy? And this is the problem always, is what if you're... I remember a teacher when I was in elementary school, I can't remember her name, uh, which is probably for the best because I'd get sued <laughs> if I said it on the air. But I remember it was always a thing that I remember is that in about grade two, her shirt was usually see-through. She, you could, she, you could, all, you could see her bra, and that was scandalous back then. See, but what? But I was very. But nonetheless, if you were a principal, could you go to that teacher and say, "I'm sorry, you got to go home and change"? What if, this, what if the students? male teacher's pants were too tight? When I he was would at be school? surprised that you know maybe you have to talk to a teacher. But you should have a dress code. Yeah, that yeah. is there something in there that says you have to dress in a respectable. A respectful manner in front of children. I don't know whether that exists. Maybe it's, we have to hear from teachers up there. Well, you, um, see, you hear stories about the students getting burned with their dress codes. So absolutely. you have to assume there's one for. The but they are always teachers. fighting back. We're always hearing the stories. All the stories that we always They're hear. Youth. Of I know, but, they are. but all the stories we ever hear about the students with the dress code are always the positioned as this student was hard done by because they were sent home because they were wearing spaghetti straps and. Come on, it's the boys. If you're a young boy and you can't deal with a young girl who's dressing as she wants, how can you tell a young girl how she should dress? That's always, that's how every story is positioned. You guys, I'm sorry if you got hormones, deal with it. She's allowed to dress as she wants to. And so why could a teacher not say the same thing? Because the teacher's being paid to be there. And probably signed a contract that should have that dress code in exactly. it. Exactly. And would also think ahead if they were a good teacher to say, how am I dressing today? Am I dressing in a manner that... 
I feel comfortable, you know, in the classroom that I don't I want them to listen to me. I don't want them to watch me, you know, throughout the entire class. I would love to know if there is a principal out there, though, anywhere that would actually go up to one of his or her teachers and say, go home and change. You're, you're, you're not dressed, right? If there was a male teacher that showed up with pants that were too tight, go home and, and get something else. I see. I don't think that that exists. I don't think it exists. I don't, I would be shocked if a principal has ever done that. If you're a principal out there and you've done it, surprise me. Radley at 900chml.com. Let me know. But I'd be very surprised if that ever happens. So it falls entirely then onto either the board, but then you're still getting the principal to have to enforce it. Or Matt, as you said, and as Sue, as you said, the intelligence or the right thinking of the teacher. I think the overall, like the question with why the board even brought it up, like are, are they having a problem with this or did they just bring it up for whatever reason? Because we agree they they shouldn't be telling them that, but... It sounds to me like they had an incident. Yeah. And this a, was, the, the, the backlash was bigger yeah. than the actual incident. Yeah, if you got a bunch of teachers who don't know common sense, well then shouldn't have hired them. The, other, the part of the story that, as it was written, was also pointed out though, is we have long now fought against the idea that people who wear people don't people who wear certain clothing are not asking to be ogled asking to be stared at asking to be treated any differently that we've we're trying to create this utopian society where everybody is perfect and if someone decides to wear something that you have no right to look at them in a certain way and so it's not their problem for wearing that outfit it's your problem for looking at them that way so what do we, I mean, how do we deal with that then? You're teaching these young boys, don't look at a girl when she's wearing revealing clothing as a sex object. Don't. You're not allowed to do that. That is not, she is entitled to wear those clothes. And, and I think we all agree. No one's asking, you know, we always hear she was asking to be raped. No, she no. wasn't. So how do, we, how do we balance the two then to say, we're teaching teenage boys that you don't look at a girl or a woman because of the way she's dressed in a certain way. But then we say to those people, yeah, but you're dressing that way. It becomes, to me, it becomes a really difficult balancing act then. But you're also talking about male versus female. What about the other way around where maybe, and I don't know whether any girls have ever complained about this, but the kind of low-rise jeans and the underwear sticking out or seeing more of the underwear than you actually are seeing of the pants. I, I think it's... I'd and, love to see a high school teacher come to school dressed like that. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. No. But also, if you're talking about students, I know there's a lot of students who like to wear certain things to be different. It's not that it's a sexual outfit. It's they want to be different than the norm. And I don't see anything wrong with that, especially in this day and age. Um, I do understand your comment about how perhaps... You know, young men are being told, excuse me, uh, young men are being told that this person can wear what they want. But think about it. In the schools, there's still, as you said, students, there's a dress code for students. They are sent home if it's, you know, if the outfit tends to be overt in nature, sexually overt in nature. I, I, see, I, I like what you're saying because I really believe that ultimately we do have our own responsibility to be responsible. A lot of people don't want to have responsibility for anything. If I want to dress with a shirt that basically doesn't cover anything, I have that right. Well, yeah, you have that right. But are you smart for you, doing it? But if, are you smart for doing it? And if you go to school, should you be shocked if somebody says that's not appropriate? for this particular environment, for this particular... And here's the tricky part of this as we go to break is 
this is all, this all makes sense. But these are, they're talking about pictures that don't have anything to do with school, just that you're a teacher. And that's, that, that's the tricky part of this story, I think, that, that are you entitled as a teacher to ever step away from school and have your own private life and your own private Facebook page and your own private social media? That, and that ultimately is the question. Put a different name on it. And with a mask on it, so no one can actually tell it's you. You could. No, just put a different name on it. Don't, don't become friends with all the people around the school. And, and set up your privacy settings high. Yeah. And also, can you imagine being a high school teacher in this day and age and going to a bar no. and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of your students walk in, probably underage, probably with, you know, phony ID, but all of a sudden you're, who's going to leave? It's going to be up to the teacher to leave. Yeah. Um, you know, those situations arise. So Oh, come on. You turn in tough. the kids and you get them arrested. <laughs> oh, how nice, Those Scott. guys, they're, they're underage. Get them out of here. Yeah, that's certainly happening. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. The brightest panel in Hamilton Radio has been reassembled tonight. Sue Prestige and Matt Holmes. Yes, the same Matt Holmes who used to sit here for 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock every night. Same guy. You know what we haven't done? We should probably do this because we've not uh, done it since you left. There has not been one Game of Thrones recap since no? you left. No, because I've never watched an episode oh, of the show. Bad. That's and very, so anyone who is a Game of Thrones follower oh. has been sadly without their... Um, Don't worry, they've been getting it. I Actually, it's not true. I saw about 10 minutes of one. I was told once when I still, I think, had the movie network or something, you have to watch this one, and it was one involved, I can't remember what it's called, but like everybody died. That's probably the Red Wedding. It was the wedding. Yes. Everybody. I mean, there were people dying... There was the highest per capita level of deaths per minute on so you TV. So you've only watched that episode. And not even that full episode. What I saw just the death part. You, you disappoint me every time I talk to you. Okay, you're going to be more disappointed. <laughs> I haven't even seen the wedding. Yeah, I've... I've you know, that's, I keep, that's actually better. So you can at least have the build-up to it. That's when you, so when you, true. When you get smart enough that. to watch it, you can yeah. get the build-up to war- Luke, I can do this, this over is Christmas. Already ruined. Luke keeps telling me I've got to watch it. The problem is two things. One, I don't, have, I don't subscribe to any station that has Game of Thrones. And B, it's not on Netflix. And so I just... And I don't want to be pirating the stuff off the computer. And so I just sit and wait and eventually it'll... Uh, and I'm not buying box sets because I don't know if I like it. So there you go. Other people will have them. They can give them to you. It'll help. <laughs> don't worry. Let's... Um, this one is... Uh, I saw this story today and... Um, I can't I th- get over the build up here. Yeah, I thought, I'm I thought, worried. Well, no, no. I, 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 I want to walk a little carefully on this one. I'll be honest with you because I don't want anyone saying that we're all being racist. But it's a really interesting story to be. The Mall of America has decided that they are hiring for the first time ever for the kids to come and sit on their knee, their first black Santa. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. Because we're telling kids, we're trying to keep the the magic of Christmas, the believability of Santa alive, and yet every TV show they ever watch, which is where they get their image of Santa from, he is white. I, don't, I can't think of a single TV show or movie where Santa is not white. Oh, and then, maybe there is one, but then when they come to the mall, and I'm not against having African-American people doing any job, but when they come to the mall, are we, is this one place that maybe we should say, and I don't know, you know what, no, it, when everything in TV, movies, media, everything is a white Santa, you're completely confusing the kids when they go and see a black Santa. What do you think? Matt, hmm. go with this, will you? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of it through a kid's a, a kid's eyes, right? I'm, I'm trying to go through a kid walking up, and if it's Santa, it's Santa. 
Okay, but I, if you're I children, you have, what, think, two and a five-year-old. Yeah. If they went to the mall and they went and sat on, on Santa's lap, do you think they'd come to you afterwards and say, I thought Santa, Santa was white? I don't think so. You don't think I so? Th- I think if he's got a red suit on and he's got a beard and the whole shebang, I, I think they're just going to think that's Santa. Okay, I have more of an issue with a certain mall in Toronto having fashion <laughs> Santas. Fashion, I've never heard of this. Oh, you haven't heard gosh. of Sexy Santa or whatever okay, they call no. them? Fa- so with this particular mall, which will go unnamed, um, I think it was last year, or maybe for the last two years, has had a fashion Santa. Which means what? He's a great looking guy. Oh, is this the older, older guy? Yes. With the beard and the hair all quaffed. And now there's been this controversy about who is the real fashion Santa. That aside, I'm going, really? You, you actually have somebody... In your mall, and they offered to have your picture taken with Fashion Santa. But I thought, talk about diminishing the impact of Santa in general. Like, Santa is for the kids, let's face it. Why are we taking the Santa image and transferring it into something that is high fashion? Was it necessary? No. Did it get media coverage? (laughs) Yes, Yes, it did. did. Sure it did. yeah, sure it did. This this one, and you know, I, as I was thinking about this topic before I came in and deciding whether to do it, I was thinking, okay, you know what? We talked a while back about the idea. There was a big discussion about should James Bond in one of the next movies be a woman, and there was a lot of discussion. Well, no, James Bond is a guy, but ultimately, you're talking about adults who are watching that movie. They they can deal with it. They they know James Bond is a made up character, right? So so whether it's a man or a female, whether it's Jane Bond or James Bond, big deal. Hey Scott, tread carefully. Kids could be listening. About James Bond? No, I'm just making sure. So, <laughs> yeah, spoiler tre- alert. Tre- I'm just saying tread carefully. But, yes, but, so with this one, this is this is the only thing I was wondering. Again, it's not a, it, it's not, I don't think it's a race thing. It's a thing that all of our culture paints Santa as Caucasian. He lives at the North Pole. He is, I've, I, again, I tried to think through this. I've never seen one image of Santa not white. Now maybe that's wrong. Maybe that maybe this is maybe this is a good start to change that and maybe we can have multicultural Santas in every place. I don't know. But I just thought of this if we're convincing kids to, if we're telling them he is real is this confusing? I don't know. You're on the line here. Um uh, I, here I'm struggling with this because the image of Christ when you see him on a crucifix etc began as being white. And then people said, well, really? No, during the time, he was Palestinian. He probably would have been a much darker skinned. And then we started to see illustrations uh, and carvings of Christ with a much darker skin. Put that aside. Now we're talking about Santa as iconic. uh, And this is something that, you know, was Father Christmas. I mean, in some countries, Father Christmas is depicted as being someone who has slightly darker skin. And, but Coca-Cola, you're right, in the very beginning, developed this image to sell their pop. And it was a, a Santa Claus wearing this, you know, bright red outfit with the white fur, the perfect mustache, the white beard. I mean, really, that was the launch of Santa Claus in North America, at least. It's a great so. example you use, though, about the, the, the images of Christ over the years, because somehow... For the longest time in North America, we have pictures and drawings, not pictures, drawings and paintings of Christ as a blonde, blue-eyed man, which are very commonplace in the Palestine area. 
<laughs> don't think so. You know, so uh, so again, that was that was totally off. That 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 was that didn't resemble in any way, in all likelihood, what Christ would have looked like. So I don't know. I I just looked at this and I thought this is a really interesting one. Is this is this a great step forward or is this political correctness nudging into? somewhere or, or equal op- I mean I don't even know what the word would be I, I don't know I just thought it was really interesting that this was that this was being tried I, I, I think it's interesting I, I'm just going through my kid's eyes I don't I, I don't think he would care or notice or anything because he has a, he, he's not to a, my five-year-old he's not to a point where he even talks about that it hasn't become an issue so when it becomes an issue I'm sure maybe he'll talk about the difference between a, a skin color but right now he do, it's just that's that kid that's this kid that's that, it's Sam I would love it would be interesting to you know if that happens in that particular mall that uh, you know, a few years down the road to talk to some of the children yeah. about yeah, the impact that had on them or the the parents, et cetera. Um, I think it would be better to get their take on it than probably Matt and I sitting here <laughs> sort of going, oh, yeah, well, mm, no. No, I think, I, again, I think it's, I, I think you're right. I would love to hear from some of the kids if there is any kind of comments after. Ideally, what you would love most of all is for the kids to be what Matt says, where they are done and they come back and they go, that was great. That was Santa Claus. And because that would, I mean, ultimately if that truly happened and there was no question and no confusion and no funny looking like this is not what I expected, you would be talking about a generation of kids who truly are colorblind. You would say this would be a a perfect as they get older, it seeps in anyway, but this would be a perfect test for absolute colorblindness of kids. If in the all white Santa realm that you suddenly changed the color of Santa's face, and they don't notice, I think that would be a remarkable thing. I hope that would be the case. But children are so, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about kids, right? They're very honest. Yeah. That they are very honest, but they're also, in most cases, colorblind. Um, you know, what we've seen down in the States of late, et cetera, with the, the crime is going on, et cetera, the racist motiv- or racially motivated crime, that's the saddest thing yeah. in terms of how much that is spread since a certain election took place. We will get to that next hour, Ooh. I promise. This time we know what's coming. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. quick quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening, Sue Prestige, veteran of CBC, CTV, TSN, or WTSN, a bunch of other things, and now the head of journalism at Mohawk College. And next to her, a very familiar voice to those of you who have been longtime CHML listeners. He used to sit in this seat for a number of years and He's host the show from lot, 7 till 9. It's Matt Holmes. <laughs> it's been how many years since I've been here? I'm still trumping it. You used to sit here. All right. You did a good job doing it. <laughs> There. <laughs> so he's back and he's just as grumpy as ever. <laughs> you know. It's amazing. I thought three years away might settle those nerves, but no, he's wrong. No, wrong. Yeah, but he got out of the house with the kids. So, you know, I thought you'd be I've, really upbeat today, quiet and it was raining, adult conversation. No. I had to be here with you. <laughs> Notice he said you. You, I know. Underlined and italicized you. <laughs> Uh, we are talking about a bunch of things that are going on in the world today. And, um, you know, if there is one word that seems to me to describe what's going on in the world today, everywhere, it is anger. Why is everybody on every side of the political spectrum, seemingly in every country, why is everybody so darn mad? 
I mm. think that a lot of the anger that was simmering before the or during the American election campaign, because of the results, it was given. Um, it's almost like it got an approval rating in a lot of areas, and people were allowed or believed they were allowed to express hatred for individuals, institutions, you name it, they could say it. And I think we sat up here in Canada going, well, it's only happening down in the States. We don't have to worry about it. And I think that that is wrong. I think that we are we too suffer from that kind of of anger and if we allow it to continue we could find ourselves a few years down the road in the same boat as the US See, that's I, my prediction i like i like the way so you, you you didn't call it anger at first you called it hate mm-hmm. and, and i don't I, I, that's kind of the i feel like there's more hate out there than there is anger I, you can go back in other times when you're coming out of you know economic turbulence where you, you've got angry people you, you come out of the 80s and early 90s there's angry people there and I don't think there's angry people. There's 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 hate. There, there's a lot of hateful people out there. And for whatever reason, it, well, because somehow you can say hateful things and be rewarded for it at this point in time. But people are saying seeing that happen, so they're thinking to themselves, "Oh, I can do this. I can say this right now." And it's it, it's peculiar as all can be. Well, see now. I'll I'll take issue with something you said. I think there are hateful people out there for sure. I, I don't think that on either side of the spectrum, I think we can see lots of signs of hate. But I think when you look at the election, you know, we heard lots, and I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the election happened, we heard lots about how, you know, racism drove this and everything else. Well, I don't believe that the American electorate went from electing a guy twice who was an African-American guy with a middle name Hussein and suddenly became all racist in the span of a few years. I think, Matt, I think there was anger. I think economically people in between the two coasts. No, I think they were racist the the whole time. They just piled their nose and they weren't saying it. I I think there's a lot of anger at their possibilities, their jobs, their jobs leaving, the fact that they feel hard done by by the government. I think all those things is, is anger. There are people, of course, who are hateful. There are, and there always have been. There have been since back in the day when Martin Luther King was being shot and everyone else. We, we know that hate exists. But I think that what drove this election wasn't hate. It was genuine anger at life. It was life for certain people. I thought there was a really good comment, and I wish I could remember her name. She was on a panel on a television network on the night of the election. And she said that she felt that there was a lot of anger by young, white, male, unemployed males, sorry, um, uneducated males, and that they were pushing back, that they were voting for Trump because they honestly believed that Trump was going to bring those jobs back to their community. And she said the sad reality is that even if Trump can get a company to move into that area, they still don't have the skill set to be employed in that particular. (laughs) And that's why they don't understand. If they're angry now, they're going to be a lot angrier in a couple of years from now. But I think that that anger, people who are angry were suddenly given license to do some pretty outrageous things. And I think now people have to stand up and say, whoa, you know, I may have, if somebody makes a racist comment, maybe in the past you let it go. And I think it's about time people started saying, no, I can't let it go. If it's a family member or or if it's a friend, in the nicest possible way, you have to sort of shut it down or it's just going to be accepted. Yeah, I think it's getting veiled under that whole thing of I'm looking after my jobs or I'm looking after this. It's 
okay, yes, there is going to be a part of that, that you're looking after your jobs and you're looking after your safety if you're in one of these areas where the natives go in and hunt the, the deer and they, people get all upset about that. Yes, you're going to those things. But I think there's the underlying piece to a lot of it is still people feeling that they've got the okay to say and feel the things that they've been feeling behiding. It's interesting because all the discussion to this point has been about the, uh, we've heard about a, a, you know, a number of hate crimes that have happened in the States. All the discussion has been about the Trump people who have, as you say, had this license suddenly to express themselves and say things that are unfortunate and do things that are unfortunate. And yet I got to tell you, and I'm not, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm, I've, I've said many times in the show, I would have had a hard time voting for either one of the candidates in this election. Oh God, yeah. Uh, both of them, I thought there was no happy ending. They were both terrible. of them, both of them, it was going to be a sad ending to this story, one way or the other. But what I find really interesting is that what seems to have been overplayed, and there definitely have been racist incidents that have happened from Trump supporters and other people. But there's been a lot on the other side too. The hate is maybe it's targeted slightly differently. But I was I saw a picture that popped up today at a rally where someone held up a sign saying "Rape Melania," and I'm looking, going, wait. I agree with what you're saying. You have to speak to people. And if someone says something inappropriate, you say something. But it just, it strikes me that the hate is on both. The people who are upset that Donald Trump won are also now hating. It's hate and anger and... It's a mix of things and it's fear. A lot of it has to do with fear. Mm -hmm. Because throughout this campaign, and I will say Trump again, because I know you say you couldn't vote for either one of those candidates... I could, as a woman... I would have written my own name in. (laughs) A write-in candidate. (laughs) Radley. Um, (laughs) But as a woman, I don't know how American women could have voted for Trump. But they did in huge numbers. I know. That's all I'm saying. But if you were to ask me who I would have voted for, I could not have voted for him. Would I have voted for Hillary? Maybe. Maybe. I think she did some good things. I think her politics were... um, her experience, put it that way, as Secretary of State, uh, she did some fairly good things. There were a couple of things that didn't work. But I think the fear that was instilled in the American people about anybody the who didn't fit their description, the boogeyman, you're right, that was going to come in, they're going to take your job, they're going to, you know, your kids are unsafe going to school, et cetera. A lot of people bought that, and that's what's really frightening, Mm -hmm. that that fear was so profound that people would go out and do things that perhaps in another day and age they wouldn't have. I think it's just, it's a culture that, I think it's a culture North America wants to be accepting of everybody, but there's still a a large portion underneath the surface just can't quite grasp what that means and how that's supposed to feel. So it's just kind of getting discombobulated when it comes out kind of thing. So do you think then that if this has always been there like this, do you think if 9-11 had never happened that this would be where we are today? I think think when you talk about 9-11 that that, I don't think that that necessarily just brought out racism from people. I think that created a lot of concern in people. That's That's the seminal moment for this whole discussion because when you have, how many was it, 15, 13 young Muslim men who brought down the planes. I'm sorry, the reality is that for a lot of Americans who watched that, we all watched it, that's the moment now where everything goes back to, everything goes back to that moment with with what's happened in in this election. Are we, do we want to take the chance again that that's going to happen? Whether that risk is real or not, 
is a topic for another debate. Yeah. Or well, for the, for this debate. But the reality is if you can look at that and you can say we, immigration, we're going to bring in millions, thousands, tens of thousands of people and some of them want to hurt us like that, it's it it really muddies, it really clouds, it really affects the discussion. Going but back to fear. People are It's it's afraid. going back to yes, fear it is. because once again, the Muslim population, yes, you're right. It's you know, a small 13. number, but it's, it was 13 that were able to do that. And so they say, well, if only 13 could do that, we got to be so careful. I, I'm, that's the argument. That's the that's the position that's being perhaps, taken. Well, you know, I mean, this may not be a great argument. You go back to the Second World War, you know, about in, in anybody it was German at the time, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. after that war was looked upon as being. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but I mean, those times have changed. Um but I just, this fear factor thing for me is the biggest problem going on right now, that somehow if they cross the border or they're going to come through Canada, or I mean, it's, to me, the fear is the biggest thing. And when people are fearful, they'll do things that I don't think they normally would and that they were probably not raised to do, but are so fearful, that's the only way they know how to fight back. Okay, so there's the sad. question then. Why are they so fearful? <sighs> Because if, if we're, and, and I don't disagree with you, but if we're saying that fear is driving everything that's happening, what is... The, okay, the there's the economic situation. Yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, my neighbor just lost his job. The other guy next door lost his job. When is my number coming up? I've been out of work for a couple months. Yeah. And I mean, or, you know, it's always about your personal status. I mean, if you look back through the American history, you're also going to look at, you know, when the banks... You know, basically the whole mortgage fraud that went on and people couldn't even keep their homes. They couldn't even keep a roof over their head. Families living in parking lots in a car because they've lost their home. I mean, if that doesn't instill fear, I don't know what does. And it just progressively grew. Michael Moore made made a really interesting comment. He said, Americans will look back during the time when they cut the amount of money they were pouring into education. He said, because when you don't have an educated public, that's when democracy is threatened. Uh, Because education is the most important component when it comes to allowing people to make up their own minds, understanding what, you know, strategies are are being used for them or against them. And I thought, you know what, he's right. And now we're we're down the states. They could possibly be looking at charter schools, well, considering let, who he's put into place. Let's morph this into a slightly different conversation. I wasn't going to go this direction, but it's interesting then because one of the things that has been tossed loosely around in this country and in all the talk about electoral reform and everything else, it has been mentioned a few times. We should have mandatory voting. Strikes me that what everything we've just been talking about says. If you are, if you have an uneducated, and we have plenty of uneducated people in this country, if you are going to demand that people who don't even know who's running and you're going to ask them to vote, that seems like the biggest disaster waiting to happen ever. Yeah. We should be, in fact, we should be, I think, and I've said this before, we should have a very simple, very simple, but still a simple quiz before you can even get a ballot. Just to acknowledge (laughs) that you know who is actually running and what party they represent. No more than that. 
So you can't walk in there completely having ignored everything and don't even know who the leaders and of the just, party are. And just mark the first name on the ballot, which is typical if you don't know who to vote for. At least prove to me that you can tell me who the leader of the party is, because chances are if you've at least checked that much, you're going to know a little bit about the election. Does that hold up through Supreme Court? Never a chance. Now a chance. Never a chance. So it's a but I'm point. Just, but, <laughs> but I'm start- saying way better that than mandatory voting. But starting... Um, I don't know whether this has actually progressed to the point where it's completely changed, but in some boards of education, civics is taught at at a grade 9 level. And there's a huge argument to say, why are you teaching at the grade 9 level? Why would you not put it in one of the senior grades, 11 or 12, when they're getting closer to the age of actually voting? And then there's been a discussion because of budget cuts, et cetera, take civics right out of the... The curriculum. It and is I'm, being taken out. And I just, I'm going, that to me, that's insanity. Because to have civics as part of the course means that maybe out of a class of 20, you're educating five to 10 of them yeah. in terms of that they really will think about what politics means to them and how it basically controls their whole lives, whether it's at the municipal, provincial, or federal levels. A month ago tonight, we had a watered-down high school teacher, Nathan Tidridge, on the show who teaches civics and was talking about the fact that it is being, he'd written for McLean's magazine, Mm -hmm. that it's being removed from the Ontario curriculum. It's being blended in with some other things, but you're not going to have a required civics course. And he says the exact same thing. And I agree wholeheartedly with him. If you don't understand how we are governed, how government works, how you vote, what you need to know, we're not walking towards a brighter future. It's not making it a lot easier. It's not making it better for voters. And if you don't understand how Canada operates, then you're just going to become those angry people who are voting for whatever comes under the sun. And then object to everything that the government does once they get in. But then when you ask them, did you vote? Oh, no. Well, you know, I mean, listen, it was we, we heard from uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback this week, when he was playing down in, in uh, Miami. They asked him who he voted for, and he said, well, I didn't vote. Well, you know what? If you are going to stand on a pedestal and lecture people about how the country stinks, you have, the first obligation you have is you have to at least go out and vote. If you don't vote, I'm sorry. You don't get okay, to speak. Okay, okay, it, let's pause for a second. You said you'd put your own name down. I, I, you, you, if he went in there and true. put his own name down, is that not just the same ridiculous but at least, thing? At least he's going in to cast the ballot. At least he's involved in the Democrat. And this, and let me be clear, and you're right, I did say that, and I do mean that. I've told my kids, I've taught my kids, I believe this wholeheartedly, that voting is a responsibility that you have to go do. I have voted in every single election that I've been able to vote in, and I would never miss one. This one... I would have written something else, and I, w- I don't know what I would have done, but I couldn't have voted for either of the two candidates in the state. So I don't know what so, I would have done, but I would have, I would have participated somehow. If everybody who could have voted went in and did that same thing and wrote down however many thousands of Americans wrote down Batman as being the president. That would be awesome. And, and, and you just came up with ridiculousness like that, you're still going to have one of those two getting into power. That's, you're not wrong at all. You're so not wrong. But to, I still, to say that he was wrong for not voting, I think, is, I, I do. is, is I, off base. I, no. I think I I think you have to at least participate somehow in so the process. So he should have went in there and put Pac-Man. But you can't, you know, by saying that because he didn't vote, then he can't, you know, how would you ever be able to say then you can't uh, complain about anything that the government does because we don't know who votes. We don't know who doesn't vote. Well, we, of course we can never it. enforce that. No. We can never, I'm saying as a, as a 
personal thing. If you don't vote, in my mind, you don't get to have a voice. Now we can again, we can never enforce that. I can't prove that you did or didn't vote, so it would be on your on your word, on your honesty. But if you say I didn't vote, then you know what I say to you when you complain? I'm sorry. Wait till the next election, vote, and then I'll listen to you. If you mm-hmm. went in and voted for Scott Riley, and then you complained, I'd say you don't have a right to complain. Then on that basis, fair enough, fair enough, I, and that's and that's fine. I, as I say, I think as long as you are participating in the process somehow, it's at least a start. Is his? Uh, we're kind of off base, but is his, his? Is his kind of stance and his kind of conversation of bringing it to the American people of where he's feeling, not being a, a participant in the conversation? Is That's him, part of his is, argument. Is him not standing there and kneeling down or that is that not him being an active member of their political system? Yes, although again I would say like if if you told me that in uh back in oh I'm I'm drawing a blank on the name, but in the last time that Martin Luther King could have voted, if you told me that Martin Luther King says I don't want to vote I'm not going to participate in the democratic process. I'm going to march. I'm going to try and do this and that, but I'm not going to do anything to actually inject myself to try and vote and be part of this process. I would say, you know what? You're, you're, you're going about this wrong. It's the wrong way to do it. I like what you stand for. I like what you're doing, but you have to still be involved in the process weren't somehow. You, weren't you shocked? I mean, if we're going to talk about elections, we're going to talk about percentages of people who voted. I was shocked when the results came out for the municipal election and the voting was fairly low for the municipal election, wasn't it? Like, I would have thought at a time when you had three councillors running for mayor, you had a changeover that was happening. Like, any time there's a big changeover, that doesn't that sort of motivate people to get out there and all the people that complain about what council's doing, I would have expected the voting to be In through this the roof. city? Yeah. Oh, but, God, no. But why? <laughs> why is that? Because, you know what would get people to come out and vote in the city? I, and I'm not actually encouraging this. Mayor Eisenberger, I'm not encouraging this. A sex scandal, some sort of huge financial scandal, something else that would be to use the word really sexy, if there was something that was just dominant, and you know when that was, that was, and the, the numbers still weren't that high when the stadium thing yeah. was going on. It was higher, but it still wasn't high. If there was some, if if they caught Fred Eisenberger pilfering money, and he's not, listen, I'm not suggesting he is, but if they suddenly found that Mayor Fred Eisenberger was ripping off millions of dollars from the city or feeding his friends contracts or whatever else, that would be something that would be sexy and maybe you get people, but as it is, municipal politics to most people is just kind of meh. Are you kidding? Municipal politics probably has a bigger impact uh, oh, that on it does. Yeah, no doubt about citizens it. of any Absolutely. city. But, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem glamorous. It doesn't seem like it, you know, we hear, because the rest of the media, I mean, look, if you are following Justin Trudeau, everyone knows who Justin Trudeau is. I guarantee you that what would you, uh, maybe, I'll ask you guys, what percentage of each particular ward knows who their counselor is? Wow. 50, do you think 50% know I who their counselor is? I think that might be too high. I think, I think it 50 would be. would be too high. I think it would be. I think you're talking 30 or 40 would probably be able to say who their counselor is. I, I think so some people 30 who, or 40. Yeah, I think some people who voted probably wouldn't even know who won. And until, if you don't, until an issue comes up. Sure. And then they have to find out who that person <laughs> is. But if you don't email. even know who your counselor is... What motivation do I have to go out and vote for them? They've done, there's nothing that makes me excited or involved. At least, you know, the Trudeau thing was, do you hate Stephen Harper or do you hate Justin Trudeau? And that really, to me, we go right back, come full circle. I think what drives every election these days is anger and hate. If there is someone, you're not voting for anyone anymore. 
Nobody vote. I, I still believe this. I don't think a lot of people voted for Donald Trump. I think they voted against Hillary Clinton. And yeah. I don't think a lot of people voted for Hillary Clinton. I think they voted for Donald Trump. I don't think a lot of people voted for Justin Trudeau. I think they voted against Stephen Harper and vice versa. And so... But if, that political argument has been going on for years. Much you know more. So I just, I think it's more acute now. I think these last two elections, ours and theirs, it was very crystal clear that it was an anti-vote, whoever you were voting for. There were some, of course, who liked them. But, I mean, do you disagree? Do you think that a lot of people said, I love Donald Trump. I love Hillary Clinton. Oh, no, on the American side of things, not a chance. Yeah, the You're American going, chance, it was, it was, I don't want to vote for him and I don't want to vote for her. So I'll pick the least of... Yeah. But yeah. there was, come on, there's a hardcore on both sides yeah. that would have been the some. ones that... Some, but somebody, not everybody was going to vote for the other because they couldn't stand this person. They were going to vote for this person. I think maybe that's simplifying it too much, but... I think the ones who don't have a Republican card and don't have a Democrat card, they were the ones who voted that way. As somebody very brilliant wrote, they were voting for the evil of two lessers. Well, that's that's interesting. (laughs) But I also think one of the reasons the polls were so wrong was that there was a lot of people out there who wouldn't admit that they were going to vote for Trump, that they didn't want... You know, their nosy neighbor to know, you know, that they were really siding with Trump because they didn't want to be called the name that they were going to be called by their neighbors. And that's how they voted. I think that's one of the reasons the polls were wrong. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. One thing that both members of the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio have in common this evening is both have spent a lot of time working in sports. Matt, of course, Matt Holmes doing play-by-play for the Bulldogs and doing sideline reporting for the Ticats and doing, I don't know, all the other things. Worked in sports here at CHML for years. And Sue, of course, has a long background in sports television, sports broadcasting. So last night when I ran out of time, I said, no problem. We can talk soccer with these two because they know what they're going to do. This week, the... TFC Montreal Impact game. It's um. Well, what do you think? Is this the moment that soccer suddenly becomes relevant in this country in a big way? I mean, soccer has been relevant as far as the Canadian national women's team has gone now since the London Olympics. That that made it when they play now, we pay attention. Two Olympics, yes. Yeah, but Australia. starting in London when yeah, they won, that, that game against the states with the. Uh, with the referee who went bananas and screwed over Canada. That was the moment that Canadian women's national team soccer became a thing that we paid attention to. We've never in this country really paid attention to men's soccer, not nationally. We'll look we'll watch Premier League, we'll watch other leagues overseas. Is does this game really change it because the crowd was great, the game was great? Does it change it or was it just a blip? No, I well, I think we'll have to see what happens down the road. One of the things we have to look at, we were talking about socioeconomic, you know, platforms and what people were making and that kind of thing. I mean, in terms of players actually getting into the sport at a really young age, soccer is a cheap sport to get into. And whether we like it or not, hockey's really expensive really for a expensive. family to get into. I mean, some people, you know, to getting not taking a second mortgage out, but taking loans or running up their credit cards in order to buy equipment for their kids. I mean, to me, that's lunacy. But since it's the Canadian game, they'll they'll want to get their kids into it, whether they be uh, female or male. I think with the demographics that we're looking at in this country, it's no surprise to me that the interest in, in soccer is growing. Whether this is the year that it takes off, we'll see. But 
Remember, TFC's been around for 10 years, right, yeah. Matt? Mm-hmm. So 10 the, long, <laughs> yeah, they're long fans, years. But as somebody pointed out, and I thought this was really great, they said about the, the TFC fans, it says they don't need a sign that said, says applaud they don't need a sign that says louder they just do it because they need a sign that says don't throw dangerous objects onto the field <laughs> or or to rolls of toilet Roll paper since he's got a quarter kit. i was gonna say how, when did toilet paper become dangerous Matt, do, you, do you remember though back in the early days of tse when david beckham was playing for the galaxy la galaxy it was hard to get tickets mm-hmm. And when he, I remember one video that was on YouTube, he went to take a corner kick one time at BMO Field, and he, there were so many rolls of toilet paper and ribbon thrown at him, he was tangled up, he couldn't even take the corner yeah. kick. So this has always been, there's been a base. But Matt, do, No, it doesn't. It, it will do nothing. Absolutely nothing to the overall interest in soccer. There's thousands of kids playing soccer already. My kid, my son's played two, soccer two years in a row now as, uh, as a young kid. Absolutely, the field's packed. Just jammed with kids every week. Every single week. Do those kids end up growing up to be big soccer fans? I don't know about that. Why? Because when they become good athletes, guess where they're going to go? They're going to go to the sexy sports. And in, and in Canada, soccer is not a sexy sport for them when they become a teenager. Not yet. And it won't be. Oh, come it on. It won't be. No way. Those soccer fans, they're they're watching a game that they love, yes. But if they had the chance, would they cheer on TFC? Or if one of the other teams from across the pond came over, would they go, that's much better soccer to Well, watch. we have seen that. We've had demographic groups supporting their national team when they showed up to play. Yep. And, the, and our national and team sucks. Stadium. Well, the Our men's terrible. The men's team. Let's make it clear. Well, that's what clear. we're talking about. We're no, talking about the, men's, yeah. the men's team. We had that preface. It's there. And I mean, yeah, we, well, we'll get into soccer in another way. We are I two mean, spots behind Vatican City in the world rankings. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I saw that. But on 60 Minutes last week, it was for the members of the women's USA team that's taking U.S. soccer to court over yeah. not being paid. I would, I would love. I didn't hear anyone say anything about this, and I'm waiting for this to come up. I'm waiting, and I don't know if it ever would. We've heard so much talk in this country about having an NFL team come to Toronto, that we want to bring the American League and put it into. How long until someone raises the idea of going and seeing if a Premier League English soccer team would set up? across the pond and Toronto would be host to a... Pre- now, I don't think it would ever happen. That, though, would, would work. And I'll tell you yep. why that would work is because that's seen as big league. Yep. That is seen as a big league, top-of-the-line team. That's the Leafs. That's the Raptors. That's why the Argos don't work in Toronto now. If you were to put a Premier League team there, Sue, I think what you saw on... What night was it? Wednesday night? Would be every single night that there was a game there. Mm-hmm. Every single time they open those gates, that's what you would see every single time. I just don't have any expectations, like zero, less than zero, that the Premier League would ever think about putting a team in Canada or anywhere else other than So England. what does that say? you got to work with what you've got. you got to work I with what you've got. I disagree that there's, there's not going to be growth of this in Canada because how many Canadian, homegrown Canadians are on the TFC team? That we saw out in the field. A handful. Two? I know, yeah, a handful. Yeah, a handful. If they but never play saying, the World Cup, it's a it's moot point. Yeah. Well, no, no, I get that. <laughs> I, I honestly get that. But yeah. maybe the the whole way that the uh, Canadian soccer system works is what's wrong. You know, maybe we should assume what European soccer clubs do and how they put their players through and when they bring them into the system. I know there's a slight attempt to do it, but I don't think it's fully formed. Are we talking about this making better soccer players in this country or more interest in more interest. I- in professional soccer? 
more because it should make more soccer players, but not that many. More. You know what's going to make more interest? I think out of this game is not the game itself. Although five to two, five to two was the final. Five to yeah. two. I mean that was great. There's more goals in that game than in a lot of hockey games. Um, it was watching the crowd. Yeah. If mm-hmm. that is what to me, if anything is going to sell people, oh, I, I think I want to be in a crowd like that one time. That will be what will, if anything, will come out of that game is selling it to and be have, to experience that kind of atmosphere. And the fact that the fans stayed and it was like a monsoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was yeah. pouring and they stayed. You know what I mean? Because obviously they're fans, but also it was a great game. It was really enjoyable. You know what else, Matt? And you, you know, as I say, you did sideline reporting for the Ticats and uh, you know this league and Sue, you know the CFL. What struck me, and I tweeted this out while I was watching that game, what struck me, when you see that crowd, the number of people, but also the passion, you realize how far down the sports pecking order in Toronto, the Toronto Argonauts have fallen. Oh, the Argos are dead. They, they, you look at an Argo game in the stands and you look at the TFC game in the stands, and it was like, wait, TFC was always the little red-headed stepchild that nobody really, you know, there was a few people. The Argos would have lopped off one of their legs for one game with that atmosphere. It, it, like we joked about it, like a half a tenth of that atmosphere would be uh, monumental for the Argos if they could get if they could get anything close to that, but they'll, they'll never do that but again. But you know what? I heard somebody suggest, okay, Toronto should be banned from having the Grey Cup for 10 years or something. They sh- But then he said, we should always keep it out west. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. I mean, if that, if we had had the Grey Cup this year in Hamilton, would we have been, would we have filled that stadium? It's a great question. I tend to think yes, because it's been so long since it's been here, but it would also, I think, in some ways have depended on what the ticket prices were set at, because Toronto way overpriced the tickets yeah. to begin with. They scared off the market. That's right, and then they upset a lot of people That's when right. they cut them. So if in Hamilton, if you, it's 23,000 seats, and they say they're going to bump it up to, what, 30 or something so like for a Grey Cup, 35? If you set ticket prices at 900 bucks for the top seat, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to fill the place. But if you set the ticket prices properly, and if Hamilton looks like it's got a decent team, yeah, I think you'd be fine. I yeah. think you'd be fine. It's all about ticket price. The, the ticket price. Think of the, you know the last Great Cup here was way too long ago now. But ninety six. Problem with that at the time is it was too expensive for people. It was like well, I'm not going to buy that ticket. It's just too expensive right now. Okay, I'll throw another football question out there. Vanier Cup. Should the Vanier Cup be played in the same city as? The Grey Cup. Absolutely, Without 100%. A doubt. Without a doubt. I wrote yeah. that the day of it. When we were sat in, sitting there looking at the empty stands, there's no... Look at the last three successful Vanier Cups, really successful ones. 2011, McMaster was in it. They played it at uh, at BC Place, Place. with the Grey Cup, 25,000 people. The next year, they played at Toronto, uh, Mac versus Laval, the repeat in Toronto. Now, of course, it helped that it was the sequel to the best game ever. Right. But they had 37,000 people. And then... 2014 was the other way you could do it. They play. It was in Montreal, but Montreal happened to make it in, so they put 24th. You only have two options. The or home just play te- it in Laval all the time. The home team has to be in the Vanier Cup, or you have to play it with the Grey Cup. The problem with doing the home team thing is you don't have time in a week to book the hotels, to reserve the hotels, to put a thing on like this. So the only way you can do it is to say Grey I mean, Cup I mean, those stands at Tim Hortons might have been filled had Laurier gone through to that venue. I don't even think filled. I don't, I don't you know, think might, if Western have, was there, they'd be filled. I think you might bring from either of those two schools, you might have brought 5,000 people 
maybe if things were really amazing, 10,000. But again, I'm looking at that 37,000 game that was at the Grey Cup. Right. There were a lot of people that had tickets already. But that was the rematch, again, of the game that was considered the greatest college game ever played. If that had been... If Mac had beaten someone else the year before, and now it was Mac versus Laval, no chance there's 37,000 there. Right. Th- that was the absolute perfect storm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you got 5,000 from Western or 7,000, that would have been great. With the 4,000, now you're talking an 11,000 crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm, still not... True. Not great. But back to the soccer for a second, because I, I would love it if soccer would catch on here. I'm not a big soccer fan. Me neither. But w- w- I sure. Love soccer. <laughs> but let's have and that's but you know anything you can have that's more options for people and that we're excited about is great. Anything you can have that builds passion is great. And watching those fans, I was I honestly I was more interested in the fans than I was in the game. I'll be yeah. honest with you. It was a terrific visual to see those fans and I would love to go and be in a crowd like that. Like I said a lot of people would. But my concern Sue is next year Game three, game four, when it doesn't look like that in the stands, when there's still people there, but it's not as frantic and not as wild, does everyone still say, I got to be part of that? Or it's the diehards are back and we'll build up to the playoffs again. That, that's my only concern is, is it going to catch with the fans, really catch with the fans? Well, doesn't, I mean, you can say that about any sport though, right? That how many are the, the ones that come out when they, if the team makes it to the playoffs? And that's when you have the sellout crowds, et cetera, et cetera. Do, are they there at the beginning of the season? I'm not sure that happens in any sport. Leafs. Name it. Well, yeah, but the, <laughs> your, your, your uh, sellouts, there are a lot of corporate seats that are That's built. true. But in Toronto, you're then, that's how you're, that's your barometer. Right. All right. You sell out every game. So if, so you compare everything that happens in Toronto in sports to the Leafs and the Blue Jays the last few years with a good team have been over 3 million fans and a lot of, I mean, weekends, Friday nights, you've got a full house. So mm-hmm. See, I, I think your problem with the with, with TFC and the soccer fans right now in terms of trying to get that to be sustained is the Leaf fans, they're Leaf fans first. The Raptor fans are Raptor fans first. The Blue Jay fans are Blue Jay fans first. The TFC fans, they might be Bayern Munich fans. They might be Celtic fans. They might, those, those are the teams that they are, that's that's my be-all and end-all. If they win it all, then I'm going to go nuts. And this and is my TFC, option at home. TFC, that's, that, yeah, that's my close-to-home option. That's my number two or my number three on my list. But at the top of that list... I'm going with this team that's playing over over in Europe. But that list keeps getting shorter in terms of the, I mean, in the Toronto market, depending on um, how many people have entertainment dollars that wow, they can spend on four teams. That this, that's, but they, that's, can't, they can't spend any money on the Celtic because they no. can't no, go they across can't the do pond, it. but they're going to be loyal and be invested in that team. And if TFC keeps their ticket prices at a reasonable mark, which as, you know, with MLSE involved... I'm not really sure that'll happen, but if they do, then maybe you continue some momentum. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As I said right off the top, maybe the most, what's the right word here? The, the, The story from this week that made me scratch my head the most and say, what kind of world are we living in? The start the CEO. You haven't told us the story, so we can't tell you if you're right or not. Here's what I'm throwing it to you: the CEO of Starbucks, who helped build this company into a massive brand, is stepping down to concentrate on a series of high-end stores that are selling coffee for beginning at twelve dollars a cup. What kind of world are we living in when we in North America that there would be a business a a 
a good enough business for the guy who runs Starbucks to actually step down and and run a chain of coffee shops selling cups of coffee that start at $12 a cup. Well, they, they must know that somebody's going to buy it. Somebody's clearly going to buy it. That's no, my point. I don't get I don't know. Well, my wife will, but... <laughs> She buy a twelve dollar cup of coffee. I don't know. Probably. I, I, it's, it's puzzling to me. I don't drink coffee in the first place. But when I order a caramel macchiato or whatever that guy order, I, I don't understand how it's like a six dollar. Well, no, and that's the fanciest. I, I, at that point in time, I'm like, I, that's baffling. That's the fanciest coffee that you can buy at Starbucks. Will be like six bucks or six fifty or something for a big one. I don't know what the no, actual no, I spent price over $7 is. Seven dollars. Seven. Okay, before. seven. But to buy a regular cup of coffee that starts at twelve dollars. I mean, I suppose these were. Juan, Juan Valdez carried these down the mountain in his mouth or something to keep them at peak moisture with his burrow at his side. I mean, I don't know how you get a $12 cup of coffee, but I just, I just can't believe that we are either suckers enough or we have so much money in certain places enough that there would be an industry that could support this. That is what blows me out of the water, I think, is when I see, you know how you're getting all these things in the mail because it's Christmas, and there was this one that was delivered, and I didn't recognize the name of the company, and it said, um, affordable for your love or something. (laughs) Everything was priced at $2,300, $15,000 for a bracelet, you know, $25,000 well, if you really... for a ring. And I said, how could they possibly use the word affordable in this Sue, brochure? if you really loved the person. Oh, oh my God. Please. <laughs> spend the money. Just, just please. I just don't, That's I don't how they understand pitch it. it. But I, again, there has to be a market for this I, I kind think of I, thing. I can see it in coffee. I don't I don't know why it would be. I couldn't be that person, but I, I get it because there's, there's, there is that world that a Tim Hortons coffee is, is scum, yet the Starbucks coffee is somehow elegant. And I could just see there's another another level to that where they'd be so like, So the wine this snobs is, this of is coffee. The, yes, exactly. That's why you can buy an $8 bottle of wine, get drunk. You can buy a $25 bottle of wine, get drunk. Or you can buy a $100 bottle of wine and still get drunk. No, you can't. If you buy a $100 bottle, you better not because you better you, be awake to enjoy you it. You could do the same thing with each one of those bottles of wine, but somebody in their mind tells them that that $100 bottle one's so much better because it's got whatever tannins and blah, blah, blah. They'll find the same thing with coffee. But I can it, see it. It's, it's gold. It basically comes down to greed because even Ron Joyce and Tim Horton knew this when they started, that the biggest markup is in coffee. That, you know, really what it costs them is probably about, well, maybe a little more now, but two to three cents for a cup of coffee. I mean, even if you're paying a dollar fifty or dollar seventy, think about what that markup is. Yeah. And <laughs> let's see. So even if it was ten cents a cup for the twelve dollar, I mean, no wonder he's stepping down from Starbucks and <laughs> going into this. As I said, we got to go. But I, I am just trying to figure out. And you know, the story did not explain in any kind of detail what would make a twelve dollar coffee specialty. What would I, I know? Specialty, specialty. I know, but it's what, a what would be different about the bean? Because that would have to be with the bean. What would be different about the bean? It could be roasted in store while you're waiting. Bam! I'm done. If I go to the store, I want my coffee now. I don't want to wait for 45 minutes while my bean is being. Maybe roasted it's a silver cup, but that do you get you, the coffee? Yeah, in. Do you want it fresh? Do you want it to be the best coffee you've ever tasted? If they roast those beans in front of you. That's going to be the best coffee you've ever had. I'm not I going with a micro, microwaved bean. That's what can it's I? going to be. Oh, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you <laughs> his address, I gotta, Matt. i got some can, money uh, on this. i got nothing to do. But. Well, it's 12 bucks per cup, so you can figure <laughs> out how much an investment's going to be. <laughs> the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.